I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MZ Carvez Podcast. Welcome. Nice. And you can uh, catch us on a bunch of social medias under MZ Car Guys. Uh, you can check us out at anchor.fm forward slash MZ Car Guys, or you can drop us a line. What's the email? MZCarGuys at gmail.com. MZCarGuys at gmail.com. So we are continuing with the passion that is the Italians. Yes, the Italians, as my friend likes to say. Well, I am. I, I grew up in the southeast of America, and yeah, Italian is, is definitely is definitely a word. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's unfortunate. It's more like it should be more like Italiano. Um, so uh, we're going to be going with Maserati this week. Kind Maserati, of, uh, okay, yeah. a nice little transition from uh, from uh, Alfa Romeo because I think they're all within the under the same umbrella. Isn't that correct, sir? Uh, that is correct. In fact, um, if you look at FCA, it's kind of a ladder in terms of, you know, like the most common cars to the most exclusive. Um, Alfa Romeo is the second highest spot on the ladder, sort of a, you know, mid to low level BMW, Mercedes, that kind of competitor. And the Maserati is the next step up from that. Um, I've always felt that in the discussion of Italian cars, that Maserati always got kind of like the, the back seat to Ferrari. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know that it, it, and and I think I heard I heard somebody say one time. Well, you know, Maserati is kind of like the uh, the Acura of Ferrari, and I'm like, ah, I don't <laughs> think so. I think Maserati has has a bit more focus and um, and is actually older than Ferrari. Yeah, um, it's I yeah so. Okay, I'm going to try to avoid being too boring here, but um, but the gist of it is this: is the one of the Maserati brothers? We're all sort of having had sort of an engineering kind of a bent. Um, there were five of them, if I'm right, right? There were five that's, that's brothers. Yeah, yeah, um, and they were in Bologna, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, so Bologna. Fact, fact, check me on that. Um, and <coughs> one of the older brothers um, actually invented uh, a better spark plug for cars, um, and I think it was a ceramic tip. It was the first ceramic tip spark plug in history and um, helped that. And that, and, th- and coming from my from my automotive parts background, um, that's very, very important um, right. because the uh, the older, you know, because, and, and also I chime in with, I, I, I don't want to be too technical about this, but um, the, uh, the the spark plug is grounded in the uh, metal of the engine and the older engines that were forged and stuff in the early 19 uh, yeah in the, in the in the early 18 uh, in the early 1900s um you know you didn't have the same uh processes that kept them and so forth and so have insulating uh, insulating the, the tip gives you the ability to, you know, to have a, a hotter spark and a more controlled spark, um, which, as you would imagine, increases power and increases efficiency. So, yeah, it was a huge, huge step forward. And so him having that patent gave him a couple of things. One, it gave him a whole bunch of money um, and then allowed them to the brothers themselves to go off and, and decide they want to start building cars 
and the main thing was to actually start racing cars. Um, so they would they started out building race cars, and uh, if I remember, I think it's Maserati. I'm pretty sure who didn't have a road car for ten plus years of their start. They were doing just just doing racing cars, um, race cars, and of all kinds of around like McLaren. Um, right in that, you know, some very serious differences and some big similarities for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, so then they sort of gradually, um, I don't remember who it was, but I think, I think some, some gentleman of means came to them and said, and asked for a road car. And that sort of started things off with. And um, I do apologize. It's been about a year since I was actually um, knee deep in, in Maserati stuff. So I'm start, starting to feel yeah. a bit. But um, <clears throat> they did some incredible designs later on with Bertone. Uh, design house um, over the course of their life and uh, who who I don't think gets enough credit I, I think I mean say what you will Pinaferina has done amazing work um, right, you know, right. especially especially in their early and stuff like that but but I, I don't think Bertone gets enough credit for their um, for, for their uh, more subdued, uh, kind of classical style. Right, right. It's a very good point. You know, they did some incredible stuff. The problem is that they became sort of infamous more than anything else for that wedge shape that took over the 70s and then immediately got, you know, perverted to its logical extreme. And then yeah. everyone looked at it and said, oh, isn't that cute and isn't that retro? And no one really cares yeah. and it's hideous um, in a lot of ways. But the problem is Bertone is so much more than just a wedge on wheels. That's just one thing they did for a while that caught on really quickly and then faded away yeah. just as fast, like like having teal paint on your car in the early 90s. Um, <sighs> yeah, right. remember that. We're glad it's gone. Um, but um, but, the, uh, but Maserati has always been about speed and, uh, again, about passion and at the expense of overusing that word. But they have. And and about the feeling you get from driving one. And whether it's, you're talking about the Ghibli Coupe from way back in the day, I don't want to say early 60s. I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm pretty sure. Um, or whether you're talking about a you know 2018 Levante S or even a Gran Turismo. It's all about how the, <coughs> how the car makes you feel inside. Uh, you know, well, like, and, and with that comes the sound. There's a very Maserati sound. Yes, especially these days. You know that that they've they've really honed in on, um, you know, and 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 throughout the years and stuff like that. I mean, but it's you know I I, I think the the real kind of heyday from you know from Maserati was really truly, um, you know the the this this pre-world war ii kind of like in between the two world wars um you know because mm -hmm. i mean the uh the maserati uh 250f i'm looking at a picture of it here on oh my gosh uh, on wikipedia and that's, you've got i mean it's right there you've got, the, you've got the nose and you've got the uh the little gill slits and stuff like that right behind the front tire and that that's their I mean, GTO. That's that's their version of that car. You know, not 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 inspired by that car, but I mean that's their pinnacle. The way same with the pinnacle of Ferraris, the two fifty GTO. That two fifty F is just spectacular. Um, 
<clears throat> I do want to step back just for a minute and do talk about something because people ask about this all the time, which is why the Trident. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a big deal. So in the town square um, in Bologna is... Um, um, it's, uh, it's called the Fountain of Neptune. Thank you, Neptune. Okay. In, the, in, the, in the Piazza, Piazza. Ma- Maggiore. Yeah, well, which just means largest plaza. plaza. Um, so, oh, really? That's what it means is largest plaza? Yeah. It's um, so funny because you have names like Quadraporte that just sounds so fabulous. It just means four door. <laughs> I love Italian. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's like, you know, their, their pinnacle car right now is called the Gran Turismo. What does that mean? It means it's a Gran Touring car. It's a Maserati yeah. Grand Tour. That's all yeah. it is. Right, and it's it's, yeah. really, it's um, um, there's some other stuff like that too. We'll talk about in a minute with some of their paint colors right now. But um, so anyway, so, <laughs> so so Neptune um, has this massive trident that he's holding on to, right? It's kind of like that's what he's known for. Whether you know, yeah, I'm looking at the picture, right? that, that is the Maserati trident. Exactly, that's it's literally that trident. So um, nothing else but that. And they said, hey, you know, and they stuck with it. And then the other thing that's um, more subtle that's on every Maserati and has been on every road car ever made is the clock. And yes. it's sort of an oval shape and it's subtle and I think it's very beautiful. <laughs> Sorry folks for our continuing sicknesses, but some of you will understand. Um, well, no, that wasn't sickness. That was just, and, and, I, and I apologize. I tried grabbing hold of the microphone to, to shut it up. But, uh, Man, that just a little dust hit me. That was wild. All right, go ahead. All right. Anyway, so um, but that clock and it's it's always, to my memory, always been um, elliptical, right? Not round, and with that Maserati logo in the middle of it, and it's and it's always been at or near the center of the dash. The really funny thing now is, if you have a modern Maserati, right, and Every Maserati has it has a navigation unit in it, and let's say your battery goes dead, or you don't turn the car on for a couple of months, you know, because Maserati is usually a fourth or fifth or sixth car. Well, <laughs> when it comes back on, it's automatically starts spinning the hands at high speed, getting back to the correct time because <laughs> it, as it syncs to the GPS. Me. Yeah, you had told me that. And I that was, yeah, it's it's funny. That yeah, that but but it, it's. It's that attention to detail that, you know, and, and, you know, but see, but see, they'll do that. Maserati will do that, but there's other things like switch gear or whatever that, you know, and, and, and we go back to the, it is good. Yeah, very much. You know, you know, it's like, well. Yeah, I know that that switch is a little wonky and stuff like that, you know, but but it works and stuff like that. But this clock, we have to make sure. Mm-hmm. You know, right. oh, it's such an Italian thing. It's awesome. I love it. Well, it, it is, you know, and, and, and to, let's, let's go with switch gear for a minute because this is really a big deal. People have talked about, and justifiably over the years, you know, the Italian stuff breaks a lot and it still does. Um, and the only Maserati being made right now that has actually Maserati designed switchgear is the Gran Turismo, the handmade car, the one that starts yeah. at one hundred thirty thousand for the coupe, um, and one hundred and fifty or so for the convertible. Um, and unfortunately, there's well, there's two things. Unfortunately, that car came out 
in 2007 as the 2008 model for the first time. And it has Maserati buttons and Maserati switchgear and the transmission is a six speed instead of an eight speed, and, and which is all fine, except for the fact that that interior still looks like a 2008 interior. And in 2018, it just doesn't fly. You know, some of the, the plastics a bit clunky and things are gonna work for a while. But then the flip side of that is then these then somebody like an unnamed journalist will get in something like a Levante or a Ghibli that uses um, a fancier version of FCA, Dodge, whatever, switchgear, and they complain about it. Well, okay, but you can't have your kick and eat it too. Do you want your switchgear to work? Or do you want your switchgear to be bespoke? You only get one. Yeah. You know, so I'd rather have it work. You know, so I said to, in, in my mind, color me biased, but I, in my mind, that taking and putting those chrome silver tips on the window switches and putting some other little details that sort of make it just that bit nicer is good. I want that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, I want, when I push that switch, I want it to work every time. Yeah, but I, going back though, it's, Having an Italian car is all about the fanfare. Absolutely. It's all about the experience of it. And <clears throat> and I don't think I, 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 I honestly I can't think of maybe Lamborghini but not not so much, but but no other car company does fanfare and prestige quite to the level of Maserati. I mean, especially with the sound. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 and I know I keep going back to the sound of it, but the first time that I ever heard, the first time I ever heard a Maserati and I knew it was a Maserati <clears throat> is, uh, was I, I, I got to drive a, uh, a 2006, I think, uh, either 2006 or 2008 uh, Quattroporte. Um, and I, I remember turning it on and being like, oh, wow. You know, because it, 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 uh, in that time, it did have um, almost a direct transfer over drivetrain uh, engine and because uh, I had the double clutch engine. Believe or a double clutch uh, transmission. No, no, that was a single clutch. Sorry, a single clutch. My bad. Thank you. I was trying to think of that. Um, yeah, so it had, had the single clutch transmission, and then it also had um, a uh, uh, the the V eight from Ferrari. Right. That was in it, and and I just remember hearing it and going, "Wow, it's amazing how they're able to take a Ferrari engine, and it does not sound." like a Ferrari and, and, and they were able to tune it right and everything like that. And I just remember, I remember the, the ridiculous, uh, uh, sh- uh, shifter where, you know, you kind of had to pull up and back to go backwards and then you had to push it forward to go forwards and, you know, and then you had to do something with the, uh, you know, with, with the, with the, with the paddle shifters on the side of it and stuff like that. But, <clears throat> it was all about the experience of it. It was amazing. Yeah, so that, that transmission was called a Cambio Corsa, which basically means gear changer. Uh, it was 
awful. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Not not combo. No, I'm sorry. Um, combio. Uh, combio has changed. Corsa is race. Race. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, a gear changer for racing. Essentially, what it translates to. Um, but um, but the way they made it sound not like Chris. It is actually an F1. It is that engine is a lightly lightly changed F129 Ferrari engine. Um, F129 is the family. I think it's F129. Please look that up for me if you will, because you have a web and I don't. Um, is the model code for all the the last generation of naturally aspirated Ferrari V8s. So whether it's a 458 or a 430, um, that whole sort of lineup of, of stuff. Um, and um, what Maserati did was they took the flat plane crank V8 that gave you that countertenor whale at the top end, and they replaced it with a cross plane crank V8 that gives you that deep bass baritone note to it. So, yeah. and then by changing the um, exhaust to match, which they spent way more time on than they spent on the interior. Um, then they were able to get that experience that you were looking for. So unfortunately, the car that you drove is the car that is essentially worthless today because it's so unsatisfying to drive at low speed. Um, because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are correct. It is the F F one thirty six? F one thirty six. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, because uh, yeah, the F one fifty four. That's the um, that's the twin turbo um, V eight that the uh, quadrifolio engines are based on. Um, so F-136, thank you. Um, <laughs> anyway, but... They, they may be worthless today, but it was still... Oh, it's incredible. Such a nice car. You know, when you, when you have it at pace, you know, when you can really, really open it up, then it, it comes into its own. Um, but it turns and out... And I did. Oh, it was amazing. I'm sure you did. Um, but the trouble is that those... If you drive that transmission like a road car in American-style driving the transition will last one to two years or about 30,000 miles and costs $13,000 to replace, I believe. Um, so what ends up happening is people just say, forget it, it's not worth it. Um, but fortunately, they also made that same car with a ZF six-speed in the later years, and that transformed that car into being, being something you could drive on a regular basis. Because if you had the Cumbia Corsa, the only way to let that transmission last more than a year or two was you had to drive it like a manual. So you lifted for every upshift, and you lifted for every downshift, and you tried to rev match as best you could, and you had to chew, you had to pull the paddles with every single shift every time. So it wasn't really an automatic. And that was the yeah. only way to make it last. I remember, I remember it feeling that way where, where I was driving it and it felt like it wanted to, you know, it, it, it wanted you to shift it because yeah. it felt very weird in the, in its auto, in its automatic operation. I remember mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. um, especially with the shifting and stuff, you know, yeah. but I mean, I mean you, you could almost hear the car kind of going, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Drive. Drive. Wait, wait, why, 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 what? Why are we on this road? Drive. Find, find something and, and go drive. Right. You know. And, and <coughs> but the minute you shifted, horrible Italian impersonation. But yes, that's right. But the minute you shift it, you know, in the five thousand, six thousand RPM range, then the car goes. Well, this is good. This is what we've been looking for. Why don't we do this on? Yeah. 
Well, I remember, I remember, and and this is, you know, and, and we'll deal with this later on, but the only Ferrari that I've ever driven was a 308 GTSI, uh, Volvo, and it was an 81. And um, I, I was, I drove it and I was like, man, this thing is just an absolute dog. There must be something wrong with this because I was shifting like a normal, like, like a normal person. I was shifting at around 3,000 to 3,500 RPMs, you know, like, 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 like you do and stuff. And I didn't want to really just kind of push it or anything like that. And it got back and you just smelled, you know, it was really rich. It was running rich and stuff like that. And, uh, and the owner goes, Oh no, 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 no. You got to He goes, I know exactly what you were doing. You were shifting normally, weren't you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, cause I don't want to tear up this Ferrari. And he goes, no, 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 you got to shift at about 4,500 to 5,000 RPMs or else the car gets pissed. I'm like, what? Yeah. And sure enough, he goes, yeah, yeah, go back out and drive it, you know, because he, he wanted me to, because this was a place where I was working at where we did high-end used stuff and uh, we were consigning it for him. And he wanted me to know how the car felt so that when I was, you know, presenting it to other people, they would, you know, I would present it correctly. And sure enough, man, I shifted that thing at about 4,500 4, RPM, 5,000 RPM. And, uh, oh, my gosh, it was like a whole different car. You know. Pretty amazing. That was the Magnum PI yeah. car, if I, don't, if I recall correctly. It was, absolutely. <clears throat> Showing my age there with that one. Um, mm-hmm. But um, So funny you should mention that, actually, because there was a running thread. This is, uh, I want to say, th- well, recurring story. And I want to say it was three years ago on Jalopnik. And it was a story of this guy. And he had what I think was a Gran Turismo. Speak up a little bit, Matt. Sure. Um, let's try that again. So there was a story on Jalopnik about three years ago or so. And this guy had a Gran Turismo. And he couldn't get the transmission to shift right. He did everything. He took it back to the shop. He sunk tens of thousands of dollars into this thing. And <coughs> pardon me. And he even went as far as have the transmission replaced. He had everything relubricated. You know, everything that the shop did everything, and they, they, they it just was clunky. It just shifted wrong. It nothing. It never. They essentially replaced the entire drivetrain um, in you know everything behind the engine. Yeah. yeah. Nothing to get it to work right. And finally, this guy on uh, this mechanic who deals with only Italian cars, primarily Ferrari. On, was reading San Jalopnik and he, he got the guy's info and emailed him directly and said, here, try this. Take it out to a road with this later night or early in the morning where it's going to be kind of empty and you've got a nice long stretch and I want you to rev the snot out of it after it's uh-huh. warmed up. About 10 to 15 minutes. It's called the Italian tune-up. The Italian tune-up. I love it. Yep. And I want you to shift it. Don't shift until it gets close to red line. And do that for about half an hour. And the guy came back, and the guy said the car's been right as rain ever since. Beautiful, buttery, <laughs> like a uh, Like I said, you know, the car is basically, oh, what are you doing? Drive, drive. <laughs> um, in fact, I've heard that um, the uh, air-cooled 911s can have the same problem. I, I yeah, I've heard the same thing. Yeah. 
you know, so it's, 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 it's kind of funny, but you know, there's, there's some consumer advice for you. If you're having trouble with your exotic Italian car and nothing seems to be fixing it, rip the snot out of it. See what happens. Yeah. Everything just kind of clicks into place. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, well, I know we've been kind of skipping around it. Do we need to talk about the dark days? Well, yes, but I do want to make sure that I don't forget to cover one thing before we talk about that, which is the which is the the silver lining to the dark days, uh, if you will. Um, which is I want to clear up a couple of things about the modern uh, Maseratis. Um, one of which is that I dare you, any of you, to find a production twin turbo V six that sounds better than the than the Maserati being used right now, whether it's a Ghibli or a Levante. Oh, they, yeah. They Completely agree. So much work to that thing. You put that in sport mode and you put in manual shift and just take it for a ride because those first three gears are just incredible. Well, and it's so hard to get a V6 to sound really good. Um, I mean, I remember, um, you know, growing up in the South, I wasn't exposed to too many, uh, too many Italian cars. Uh, as you would think, um, sure. one of the cars that I was exposed to, uh, which has kind of a little heritage all its own, is uh, uh, is the, uh, the 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 Buick GNX, uh, or also uh, the uh, you know the, the the Buick Grand National, um, and uh, and it was it was a, a turbocharged V6 from from uh, from General Motors. And it just absolutely pulled like a freight train. But the problem was, is that it didn't sound very good. Yeah. And so, you know, Maserati being able to, as they do, get an engine to sound correctly. Because I I think as we said, uh, as we said in our last podcast, you know, it was the head of Maserati when he was asked, hey, are you guys going to build a... uh, a plug-in hybrid, he says, sure, as soon as we get the exhaust note right. <laughs> exactly. Now, it, it turns it turned out since then that they've changed. The head of Maserati is now somebody else who used to be the head of Dodge under the, uh, you know, the Hellcat project and the end of the Viper run. And they now are <coughs> building the Alfieri um, platform to be a electrified vehicle. But that's, you know, so this, this may, the Gran Turismo, this outright, 19 model may be the very last naturally aspirated Maserati ever built. And that's, that's saying something. Um, but yeah, so that's, and it's just, and I want to clear something about the engine too. Okay. So the, the Maserati engine, just to be clear on provenance here. Okay. The twin turbo V6 is built in the Ferrari engine factory, but it is the Chrysler Pentastar V6 block. Okay. So it is the block that's used in the Charger and the Challenger and all that, all that other CDJR branded stuff. Which is a fantastic It's all Ferrari and Maserati designed from then on out. So yeah, but the basic engine that, 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 that Pentastar is a fantastic engine. It puts up great numbers. You know, it's just, it's, you know, you're getting, they're getting 424 horsepower reliably, you know, out of it um, with just a tune, you know, and 
48 pound feet of torque, something like that, 428 pound feet of torque. Yeah. It's, it's just a fantastic little, um, as far as that kind of thing goes. Um, and then, and then last thing about the sound, cause then I'll, I'm jumping around too, so I apologize. But if you open the engine, open the hood of the Gran Turismo, it's a, it's a gorgeous, you know, V8, 4.7 liter running straight back the way it should. But the first thing you'll notice if you look carefully right behind the radiator is there's this, there's the rubber baffles for the intake. And then there's this thing that looks like two horns that are coming out. And it's, it's these two 90 degree bends coming out and they're not the same length. Um, you can't see me gesturing, but um, yeah, they're coming out. Find the point of the back of the car. Google the image of the Gran Turismo engine. You'll see what I'm looking at. What that is, is it's two different length tubes to tune the sound of the intake on the Maserati engine. So you get one short one that creates a higher pitch noise and one longer one that creates a lower pitch noise that work in harmony to create a harmonized sound for the intake to match with a third harmony out of the exhaust. That is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. well but see it's 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 attention to detail there and then whatever it works in other areas i mean i mean i mean that's well i mean italian oh absolutely like i I mean i I brought you into the dealership one time i was showing you like on the gran turismo that on the deck lid right if you run your finger along the base of the rear windshield on one side, you can get your fingertip in up to the first knuckle. You run to the other side, and you've got barely half a centimeter of your fingertip in because the gap is so tight. Yeah. But everything works. Everything fits-ish. I mean, you know. You know the, it, it, the it gaps is all look good. Exactly, right? You know, so what's the problem? Yeah. And the stuff is just, just wild to me. You know, and that was a $50,000 car I was showing you. Um, yeah. But um, okay, so now we really will shuffle onto the dark days. So, so, <sighs> so yeah. So when you're, you know, when when you're when you're talking about the dark days, so the Maserati brothers, um, you know, they the the, the last Maserati brothers sold the uh, sold Maserati in 1937 to the. Uh, Orsi family, who continued to kind of do stuff and everything, um, but it was in the in the late fifties that Maserati they uh, hold on just one second. Sorry, my my computer was doing something weird, but uh, but it was in the, in the, in the in the late nineteen fifties and, and early nineteen sixties that Maserati began to pull out of racing. Which is a real shame and stuff. And then in 1968, um, Maserati was sold to, of all people, a French company. I mean, luckily it was Citroen, so it still had some kind of flair to it. But, you know, then into the 1970s, um, you know, it, it, it went bankrupt and, you know, uh, Citroen went bankrupt and, it was then sold to. Uh, it was kind of added together by Peugeot, um, 
you know, and and you're, you know, throughout this, they kept getting these little, you know, like you had like a, I don't know, it, it just you couldn't really, you know, get much effort into it. They just kind of were given these pieces and parts and stuff like that and everything and barely holding on. And then, you know, and then you have uh, the Di Tommaso era, you know, in the 70s and then to the 80s and stuff um, where we got the Bi Turbo, which, eh, yeah, it, it, it was a very un unlooking uh our un you know flattering you know looking vehicle and stuff like that and then uh the 90s car was the biturbo it, it it went into the 90s but but it began yeah it, it was began like the mid early 80s and right that was that was the model that was the that was two models before the uh current gran turismo yeah well and and you also had uh the the most odd joint venture i think i think i've ever heard about and that was the uh now there is a huge following of this car that i found out a very rabid fan base of this um and that is the chrysler tc by maserati um yeah yeah, the it, it there wasn't much it wasn't much Maserati in that car. Yeah, I mean I mean it was still you know it it there wasn't much Maserati by that car. Um but uh it, it was it just kind of showed like where it had kind of come from and everything. And then luckily um you know, because it was later owned by Fiat, um Luckily, in in 1997, it was then uh, Ferrari then came in and bought 50% of it, um, you know, and and then in 1999, Ferrari took full control over Maserati. Then you started getting Maserati back into the 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 good old days of it which is kind of interesting because maserati and ferrari in in the early you know in in the in the 50s and 40s and 30s and stuff like that you know they they were like serious competitors with one another i mean i mean it was it was really one of the only vehicles out there to to really compete on on a fairly consistent level in different racing, uh, different, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, racing, um, uh, classes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Different racing classes and different, you know, things like that, you know, everything. So, so the fact that it was, it, it was, it was kind of like this, uh, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Dad, come back. Um, but, but it was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was almost fitting that, that Ferrari was the one to bring it back into its, its, its glory and, uh, yeah. and able to, you know, later on they, you know, they sold it to Fiat Chrysler and stuff. And so it kind of went back a little bit to Fiat, but 
you still had this kind of Ferrari-ness that came back into it, which kind of gave it this prestige and everything like that. And I think that that really kind of gets over into, now I know that it was, you know, it wasn't appreciated when it first came out, but I think that one of the best looking SUVs out there today, if not the best looking, um, has to be the Levante. Yeah, Patrick George had a great write-up on that car just the other day in Jalopnik, and I think it was really, really well done. And it's had some <clears throat> I don't think he glossed over the um any sort of I should put this um glaring problems with the car, but he definitely gave it a good a good looking over and and having driven the car myself, I I love it. Um my only complaint was the same as complaint as his, which is that it doesn't have a lot of room in the rear cargo area. It's a, it's a Maserati. What more are you asking for? You know, it's not, yeah. it's not a Ford Explorer. Um, what, what, you can, you can, you can carry around a wine and, uh, and, you know, and, and what, a case of wine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it'll hold a case of wine. Why, why are we complaining about this? <laughs> right. Um, so. Cause surely that's the only thing you need in the back of a Maserati is. Just a case. I can't think of anything else. You know, maybe maybe a couple of coats. Of, you know, if you're going out to the opera, um, the uh, ra- the racing heritage for a minute, because Ma- people forget Maserati has been in some form of racing or another um, since right around 1910. I think it's pre World War One, but <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, where they where they withdrew from racing a little bit. But yeah, right, 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 right. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, Juan Manuel Fangio um, won an F1 World Championship under Maserati. Yeah. Um, and that was about 10 years after they, well, I'm, when, when, was, when, was, when was Fangio? When, when did he win that? Well, it was, I know it's been a while. Um, uh, 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 now you're going to make me look it up. Hold on. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it was. Yeah, go 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 ahead and keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, but uh, and winning in 1957. Okay. Okay. So. so yeah, one man. Yeah, um, the uh, one of many great South American F1 drivers. Um, you know, he and Ayrton Senna are largely regarded as the two best drivers ever to come out of South America, but they're only two of many. <coughs> Rubens Barrichello was no, you know, no rookie himself. Um, but, um, you know, the guy's, been, the guy's turned a couple of wheels in his lifetime. But um, the big thing is that in 57, Fangio won the world championship for under, under Maserati. And 10 years later, the very first Maserati Gran Turismo style car was released to the public and they released some version of that Gran Turismo continuously. So they did a, in 2017, they did a 50th anniversary edition, which was really <laughs> fantastic. It had some really neat carbon fiber inlays and some other, and some Alcantara that was well-placed and some other things. And the car never got a lot of love from the um, enthusiast community, but was just that extra little bit special that you know when when you had one and you stepped in and you saw that you know um, 
not new moon, but you saw that carbon fiber um, door sill plate that you knew that that car was just a little bit nicer than the regular Gran Turismo. But so, Isn't that, yeah, you, was, you showed me one of those, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. That was nice. You know, with that, that contrast stitching and, and the Alcantara on the wheel and some other stuff, it was just... And it was, and it was I think it was the first time that I ever saw, like, a car that had carbon fiber, and it didn't, and, 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 and I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes when I say this, but, but any time that I see carbon fiber on a car or anything like that, I think of just how pretentious it feels. That's fair. Like, like, oh, look at me, I have carbon fiber. And it's like, really? You know, did, 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 you know, did, is it, it's not, you know, un- unless the actual physical body itself is made out of carbon fiber, then okay. But if you're just, you know, replacing some body panels or some interior trim or whatever. But no, that car, it was very cool because it was very, ta- it was, it was only, I think the only time I've ever seen a car with carbon fiber that it looked tasteful. It's hard to do. Um, yeah, but you know there's some neat, neat stuff in there too. You know they had like it was an extra large uh, deck lid spoiler, um, an extra a little bit longer front splitter. They actually had pressure relieving zones on the back of the front wheel wells to send um, to take away some of the air pressure for extra downforce and also send some cooling to the brake ducts. <coughs> Things that like, give it real credence, real credibility. You know, as a as a car that you could drive you know take to a track day yeah uh, it was it was it was a pretty neat piece of machinery and that and that zf6 speed is is still and it's you know it's not it's not the do everything workhorse that the eight speed is but zf6 speed is no it's no grandfather it's it's a nice nice shifting transmission you can go full yeah. manual and the whole thing it was great and yeah i think... mounted shift pedals yeah i'm i'm interested to see where Maserati goes with this because they're they they have a very kind of almost old school mentality about themselves as far as like you know you need to get the sound right you need to get you know the the the, the fanfare and and all of this type of stuff and and where where the whole automotive section is just being dragged into this uh, super ultra high efficiency kind of a thing. Um, I'm 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 curious to see what Maserati comes up with because if they do truly go to a uh, you know into electrification and stuff like that, I think they could keep and maintain that very Italianness about themselves. Um, you know, with with also being electrification. Does that make sense? It's, it, it, it does. It does. I want to make sure I give you a chance to finish. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and spread some rumors that have been, um, that have a lot of sort of logic and reason behind them. So here's, here's Ooh, the okay. first one is that <coughs> the Alfieri concept, which we all know was introduced in many, many years ago. I want to say 2014, but I'm not positive. Right? And okay. a lot of press since then. It's, um, it's roughly 
roughly a foot shorter in concept form than the Gran Turismo, which makes it more like the size of, say, a Honda Civic as opposed to like a Honda Accord or an Avalon size. Um, so this concept was designed, and they said, yes, we're working on this car, and then it's you know, gotten pushed back and pushed back. Well, we all know that FCA, more than any car manufacturer in the world, is buying up all of these right because the cars that it makes that sells all suck a block oh my gosh right because well, they, just put, they just put the hellcat engine into uh the uh the jeep wrangler or no not uh the grand cherokee yeah yeah, yeah the grand right. cherokee so uh yep right so you've got the hellcats you've got the jeeps you've got the hellcat jeep you've got the maserati uh, you've got Alfa Romeo. All these cars have put out a bunch of pollution, right? So you've got to have something that works against that. So this new chassis is uh, is a rear-wheel drive chassis. It has placement for uh, battery packs within it. So keeping the center of gravity low is already part of the equation. Having room for at least, you know, for two sets of seats, right? Good. Okay, rear-wheel drive with an all-wheel drive option. Okay, cool. Here's the thing. FCA is not dumb. So what they're doing is... They're going to take the Giorgio chassis I mentioned on the last podcast, and that's going to be their rear-wheel drive chassis for all their compact and, and uh, any possible subcompact vehicles. Great. Mm-hmm. Send it across the lineup. Anything that's rear-wheel drive with an all-wheel drive option will be that. It's a unibody. Anything that's mid-size or full-size is going to be on this new Alfieri chassis. So that's going to be the new chassis for, if it continues being made, the Challenger, the Charger, the Grand Cherokee, um, 300 if it's heat making that you name it all that stuff is going to be on this Alfieri chassis so what they're going to be able to do with that is it's going to be so modular the rumor is and I emphasize rumor on this is that they're going to bring back the CUDA the, the Barracuda is what they're going to put it on the CUDA right and the CUDA is going to be a pony car that's going to compete more directly with the Mustang and with the Camaro because we all know the Challenger is a full size and doesn't really compete with the Challenger and the, and the, and the sorry, with the Camaro and the uh, Mustang to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah, correct. That's going to be exciting. But, um, but they're talking about the Alfieri will be a, available as a hybrid and as a full EV. So they're going to somehow make it. Yeah. So that thing's got to have a ton of grip and it's got to have a ton of acceleration. You know, it's, it's, it's going to have to have similar Tesla, but also be able to go corner like a Maserati. So, because frankly, yeah. Tesla don't corner that well. And the fan. So, it's 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 going to be really interesting to watch to see how many of these rumors actually come true. But I'm excited if they all come true. I'm very excited. Oh. Oh, yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. So, right. you know, I mean, the only thing that makes me sad is that this is the way technology is going. And this means that if you're one of these guys, like 99% of our listeners, who really like a naturally aspirated engine, especially a VA one, you've got to pony up for that, for that Gran Turismo now or hope that you can find one that hasn't been, been beaten on and buy it secondhand with a uh, certified pre owned warranty. Because yeah. they're not going to be around much longer. No, I totally agree. Absolutely agree. So, all right. Well, I think that's. that's I think that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, on into the future, and uh, 
and I and I think the future looks bright. I'm uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by everything. So I am too. I am too. All right. So, well, Matt, so, thank you very much, sir. Sounds good, Zach. We will uh, we will talk next week. Absolutely, guys. You can catch us uh, on all our social media, uh, uh, MZ Car Guys. Uh, and if you want to, drop us a line at uh, mzcarguys at gmail.com. Matt, vroom, vroom. <laughs>